Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of JIRA, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal, and Black Lives Matter. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You're listening to the Big Sister Hotline, your go-to podcast for the kind of frank, funny, and feminist advice you can only get from a straight-talking big sis, which in this case is me, your host, Clementine Ford. Each week, I'm joined by a guest to help me answer your questions, which you can email to me at bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. Episodes of the Big Sister Hotline are made possible by the wonderful members of my Patreon account, whose support helps me to make this and other content, while also making this one of the very few podcasts in Australia that pays its guests for their time and expertise. If you would like to become a supporter, you can do so at www.patreon.com forward slash Clementine Ford. And speaking of guests, I'm joined this week by a fellow single mother, makeup queen, and book lover. We first connected on Instagram, which is how I meet so many of my guests, and I've been beyond thrilled to see how expertly and incisively she pushes back against the misinformation of anti-vaxxers and wellness women, particularly at this, the pointy end of a pandemic. She is Lauren Lately. Lauren, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Clem. It's so good to be here. It is my absolute pleasure. Before we start, I just wanted to let you know that I'm speaking to you from Wurundjeri country today, and I would love to know what country you're on. So I am on Ngunnawal country. You know, I said in the introduction that I connected you with you on Instagram, and that's how I meet so many people. And sometimes I have that little, mm, little ping of internalized misogyny that tells me, oh, that's not a legitimate way to connect with people because we're, of course, you know, we're made to feel silly about communities that are largely women focused and largely populated by women, which of course Instagram is. But why is that not a legitimate place? Why do I always feel that way? Absolutely. Like it's, it's uh, a shaming thing that like makes our space that we've created for ourselves less legitimate and less real like an online friendship and an online relationship that you have with somebody and the support that you get from them isn't any less legitimate or any less real than somebody that you've met in real life and Mm. in a lot of ways the friendships that I've created with people on Instagram and through my my account are more deep and more valuable than some of the surface level relationships that I have with people in real life because I've met these people and bonded with them over shared passion or shared frustration or shared life experience. And it's not just a coincidence or a happenstance of geography or, you know, Mm. where I work or where I went to school that I have met these people. It's actually effort to then create these relationships. And so that actually makes them a lot more valuable in a lot of ways. And it's, Um, a way to delegitimize the seriousness of the things that we talk about on Instagram by 
making it that it's frivolous or that it's silly to make friends online or that Instagram friends aren't real friends or, Mm. you know, that's just silly women's business and it's not as legitimate. Mm. Oh, and because of the, the, um, because of the genre of the vehicle that obviously the things that you're connecting about must be really frivolous as well, you know, that they must be really superficial because everyone knows that Instagram's just women posing all the time, as if life itself is not people just posing endlessly for others. But it it really, that attitude really dismisses the many different ways Let's just say that we're speaking about women in particular, but obviously, of course, it's not only women who use Instagram, um, but it really dismisses the many different ways that we connect and the things that we can connect on. For example, I really started to use Instagram very heavily after, you know, the pandemic started last year. And I found not only was there access to a group of like-minded women who wanted to discuss a range of different things whilst also not dismissing all of the kind of things that bring you joy in your life. But also as someone who had recently, only the year before, become a single mother, and I know you're a single mother too, I found that there was a lot of opportunity there to discuss the things that were immediately kind of presenting as challenges in my life with other women who were going through it. Yeah, and I think um, one of the great things about Instagram is that in a way it kind of flattens the field a little bit when not as uh, held to the same kinds of default uh, or norms that general society has. Like we're not as um, beholden to the idea that certain places are man spaces or that certain voices are more valid. It's like we can carve out this space. And I think it's been particularly evident during the the pandemic, but just in general, I think social media is a really great tool for marginalised people or people who don't necessarily have physical communities around them, that they've been able to find their community and find commonalities and shared experiences that aren't then you know flattened by needing to cater to the the male gaze or the maleness of the conversation it doesn't need to be that we can have a space that's our own that is obviously still existing within the patriarchy and existing within the society that we live in but we've managed to find a place where we have a little bit more power and a little bit more agency and we can build up our audience based on who we are and being authentically us and not needing to feel that somebody is going to come over the top of us and say, well, no, that's not valid. And Mm. finding people that have shared experience, especially, yeah, as a woman and I know a lot of um, my friends of marginalised backgrounds, whether that's um, sexuality or race or gender, they've been able to find people and connect with people in really meaningful ways on Instagram that aren't necessarily accessible in real life. And it's a lot of privilege that comes along with being able to have that network in real life. Like some people are really isolated geographically or by family or by a range of circumstances and they just don't have access physically in real life to those people and so having this online community can be an absolute lifeline for some people. Mm. Let's talk about some of the uh, more negative kind of aspects of these spaces and I'm thinking in particular with some of the work that you've been doing to counter misinformation from prominent and I use that word advisedly prominent anti-vaxxers online, many of whom spawn from, you know, what would be called the quote-unquote wellness woman industry, which funnily, you know, considering what you said before, does really market itself as being a place of authenticity, but so often than not is the complete opposite of that. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that um, particularly those those wellness influencers have kind of come in and, and filled a gap in a way. Like for a lot of people, they're looking for community, they're looking for like-minded experience and they find it in some of these people and it might start from a really uh, genuine connection about something that, that 
um, that they vibe with on their account. It might be, you know, a particular way of living or a particular way of looking at something. And then it kind of goes down this path. And as these influencers start to themselves go down this path of, you know, there's that wellness to QAnon pipeline, Um, As they start moving more towards some of those more extreme views, they take their audience with them. And it's really dangerous because they've built this really one-sided connection with their audience where they're the authority and they've positioned themselves as somebody that can be trusted because they know what they're talking about even if they don't have any qualifications because it's just the way that they have branded themselves and put themselves out there. And a lot of women in particular are very vulnerable when they're looking for community online because they don't have that in real life. And so they see this person that they can see themselves in a little bit and then, yeah, as that person starts putting out these more and more dangerous and and ill-considered views that their audience is just absorbing that with not a lot of critical thought because they've been groomed in a way to trust that person. Mm. Mm. One of the things that you do really well is provide the counter to that. You know, you never position yourself as the authority, but you point to other expert opinions and to other expert material, which it's been remarkable over the last year and a half and I don't know if you've had this the same experience. I sort of feel like I've been forced up against this childish naivety that exists inside me that people are not interested in facts. I mean, obviously, we know that. It sounds silly for me to even say that. But it's one of those things where the more and more I realise it, the more I, I'm, I'm still kind of like gobsmacked by how easy it is for people to just, just dismiss facts-based information. Yeah, and, you know, facts aren't exciting and facts aren't sexy and facts don't create outrage. Facts are just facts. They're, they're just there. But, you know, and the algorithm as well in social media is designed to create outrage because that mm. gets you scrolling and clicking and staying on the platform and engaging more. And so the algorithm is actually designed to promote those kinds of views because they're the ones that keep people engaged in the space. Um, That's why so many of these people are still allowed to flourish and build platforms and share this misinformation with no consequences because it actually serves the algorithm and it serves the business of social media. And I know you've talked a lot about how Instagram is a business and where where the content, where where what they're selling um, as users. Um, Mm. But, yeah, and I've been really mindful and careful to never position myself as an expert particularly on the science because I'm not I just am very passionate about correcting misinformation and Mm. yeah I, I have that real drive for truth and justice and accountability and all of those things and so you know the way that some of these influencers are able to just say something with no facts and no evidence and they just say it as if it's true and then Mm. people believe it because they're just putting it out there and there's no you know rigor behind it there's no facts there's there's no fact checking before they say something or post something and it actually takes a lot of time to then counter that because it takes them two seconds to say something damaging and harmful and it can take 20 minutes to then find all of the information to prove what they're saying is not true, even though you know inherently it's not true. You have to back your sources up because mm. I never want to get into a, like, you know, he said, she said kind of situation because that's not helpful for people. And I want to give people the information for them to be able to actually see for themselves that what these people are saying is is wrong and giving them the tools to be able to identify some of those misinformation red flags in content kind of going forward. Which is a really good skill for anyone to have. And, you know, weirdly, if there's anything to thank these people for, it's the honing of those skills. It's the it's the ability. I mean, I feel like you and I both have probably gotten a lot better over the last six months since the vaccine has been 
kind of been discussed in these ways at knowing how to quick quickly fact check fact check things um and present that alternative no well it's not alternative that's the wrong way to put it present the the facts-based information to counter the misinformation um but the problem is that with that comes a whole new set of shifting of goalposts so i want to talk with you about you know it might some people might refer to it as toxic positivity i think that you could call it also toxic femininity not in so much as a counter to toxic masculinity but the way that aspects of femininity are weaponized in order to prioritize obviously a very particular kind of woman and protect her from critique yeah it's that you know be kind or if you have something to say, you know, you should say it nicer or I don't like the way that you said it. It's that tone Mm. policing that is, it's not the point. Like it's, it's a way to kind of bypass the information and kind of say, well, I don't, not going to engage with how, with what you said, because I know that I can't fight against it, but I'm going to take issue with how you said it because Mm. you are not fitting into this nice box of uh, femininity or the way that I think that women should talk about things. Um, You know, Mm. people say that the difference between being aggressive and assertive is your gender. Um, And a lot of people take issue with the way that I address the misinformation because I don't sugarcoat it. Um, I think mm. that I'm quite blunt at times. Um, but you also don't, you also don't, um, it's not just not sugarcoating it. You don't allow for there to be any kind of lack of nuance about what you're saying. You know, you don't allow for them to be, for there to be an exit for people to not listen to what you're saying. You say these are the facts. And, there's so often this kind of be kind love and light mentality is really just you know people will say things like well we should respect each other's opinions it's like no it's science sorry I don't respect your opinion discrediting science because it's not facts based and I and I think that there's that people want to be given permission to continue believing whatever it is that they believe without being criticized for it or without even really being corrected on it and if you refuse to do that in a way that allows them to, to to listen to what you've said but walk away and go, well, let's just disagree, agree to disagree, then somehow you've bullied them. And you and I have both been accused of being bullies numerous times because we're like, no, you're wrong. And that's essentially it. Like if you just say to someone that they're wrong, then you're bullying them. And that was has been really, really uh, come to the fore in looking at how people have rushed to defend Sam Frost. Sam Frost, obviously, for anyone who hasn't heard, Sam Frost is a former bachelor slash bachelorette contestant who now works on Channel 7 on Home and Away. She's kind of one of those people who's established a media career because she was on a reality TV show. And that's fine. Lots of people do that. I'm not discrediting that at all. But apropos of nothing and certainly without being invited, Sam Frost sat down and made a seven-minute video using all of the classical lighting techniques and framing techniques and techniques and tropes of the damsel creating a video explaining that she wasn't vaccinated and that everyone should be nice to people about that for you know basically that was the upshot of the video and then was surprised seemingly to receive a fair degree of backlash for that because there's no medical reason why sam frost can't be vaccinated but nor is there any reason why people should respect that choice yeah, I I really don't know what she was trying to do with that video, especially given the vaccination rates at the moment. Um, like it's very clear that people not getting vaccinated or actively choosing not to get vaccinated is incredibly clear now that they are in the minority. They're very vocal, but they're still a minority. Um, and there was a really interesting thread that I saw on Twitter, I think by Amplify magazine, about the... Mm visual techniques that were used in that video you know she was sitting on the floor to make it seem like authentic and vulnerable she was wearing like all white because that you know signifies purity and innocence and like the makeup free kind of look and the natural lighting as opposed to the ring lighting just to make Mm. it seem more vulnerable and authentic so there's all of these you know strategic visual clues that are in there to 
make people feel a way about it um, and people that are obviously more sympathetic to her views, her opinion, are then going to take all of those cues and defend her because, oh, this poor vulnerable woman, she's, you know, very fragile. And no shade to her about her mental health. I struggle with my mental health, absolutely. And I just cannot for the life of me think of why, if you're struggling with your mental health that badly, you would make that video. Like, I really don't understand it. And I really hope that she is getting the mental health support that she needs. But at the same time, we need to recognise that these are not two equal opinions. Like, they're not of equal weight. You know, on Mm. the one hand, we've got the weight of scientific and medical consensus telling us that these vaccines are safe and effective and are, you know, a legitimate way to get through this pandemic. And on the other hand, you have a tiny handful of people who are saying really just completely false things about vaccines. But the people on that side want to make it seem as if it's too equal sides that deserve Mm. equal weighting and deserve equal airtime. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. Like there's not two equal sides to this. Beyond that as well, it's not just about insisting that there's two equal sides that should be given equal respect and weight as if somehow your opinions about scientific facts are the same as the scientific facts themselves, but also that there is nobility. There is nobility in rejecting a vaccine. There's strength, there's freedom, there's, you know, obviously I don't believe those things. Um, But I think that this is what's underpinning it is that when I consider what might have motivated Sam Frost to make that video, and obviously you and I both speculating at this point, and like you, I hope that she isn't feeling too mentally tender because of this. Um, Whatever spurred her to make that video, surely part of it was, this sense that in doing so she would be recognised as coming bra- bravely out against the grain, you know, as as stepping out of, of the fold and taking a stand, which is how so many of these people perpetuating these really at this point incredibly ignorant and harmful ideas are framing that obstinance. I almost feel as if there are people who, will just they just refuse to to accept the science on it now as a matter of principle yeah like that, they've identified as that and then they can't back down from that because mm. they invested so much of their personal identity into that now to a really strange degree as well someone was messaging me this morning and complaining about how the vaccine mandates will mean that she loses her job even though she works from home. And I said, well, do you plan on working home from home forever? Do you plan on never going out into society again? Do you, do you not want to go to shops? And, you know, as we kind of peeled the conversation layers back and back, it became apparent that her concerns as she, she, she wanted to frame them in some kind of moral absolutism. But really at the end of the day, it just came back to this the same thing that's kind of driving most virulent anti-vaxxers which is I don't want to have to take this vaccine but I also don't want to have to change any other aspect of my life I want all of the freedoms that having a widespread public health response will give without none of the responsibility of being part of that wide health a widespread public health um, response and as a white privileged person in this country which so many of them are so many of them who have who have fiercely taking this stand I don't see why I should have to give up anything that's not fair and this woman kept saying to me well should I have to starve to death and I was like what do you mean starve to death and she said well if I don't have a job how am I going to pay for food and I was like so you would rather starve to death than take a vaccine like to me that was what was kind of really worrying about it was that they've become so fixated on this position that they believe that they can't move out of they're very um 
Absolutely. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, this woman is not going to starve to death. That's a ridiculous thing to say. But even the fact that she's using this argument, well, I should, well, you would just want people to become homeless and starve to death. Like, I, I literally don't want that. But I also know in most cases that won't happen because if you're the kind of person who would rather lose your job and, as you say, starve to death, and this woman had three children as well, you would rather that happen than just take a proven vaccine, then I really can't help you at this point. But what you're talking about is not oppression. It's not discrimination. That's it. Like, And it's such a logical fallacy to say um, I'm not going to take the vaccine, therefore I'm going to not have a job ever and be homeless. Like, It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a very big step to take <laughs> from one to the other. But they want to make it this really absolutist and binary choice and to them they see it as a choice between just taking a vaccine and not and I did a post on this the other day that it's not that binary choice like if you're choosing to have the vaccine then you're choosing to honor the social contract you're choosing to you know play your part in society and be part of this collective public health response and be a member of society and if you're choosing to not have a vaccine, it's not just that you're not choosing a vaccine. It's there, there are so many consequences to that because you're opting out of all of those things. You're opting out of the social contract. You're opting out of being a member of society and contributing to the public health response and being a member of the collective. It's this very individualistic view and it's incredibly privileged to go, my individual privileges and freedoms must trump the good of society like how do people get to a position where they're that entitled and that arrogant that they think that that's the that's the choice like it's Mm. them or everyone and they're going to choose them but it's not the the choice at all and I do want to be careful with this as well like you know I did say the other day that um I think that choosing not to have the vaccine if you're able to is is an inherently selfish thing. But I do want to acknowledge that there are situations where people have vaccine hesitancy for very valid reasons. And Naoko Gori did a fantastic article about their experience with choosing vaccination despite the uh, Mm. medical and government interventions among First Nations people and the history of that and how it's a loaded situation. So I want to make it very clear that there's a very big difference between these influencers pushing anti-vax views and coming from an immense position of privilege compared to people who have legitimate cultural and historical reasons to be vaccine hesitant. Um, Mm. So, yeah, we need to not conflate the two and not make broad statements as such. But when we are talking about influences, it's generally incredibly privileged and incredibly selfish view of the the situation. Mm. Sister Hub also released a video today of um, prominent Muslim women who were speaking to Muslim the Muslim community because there's, for exactly the reasons that you're mentioning um, on a slightly different scale, obviously also hesitancy in migrant communities and you know, I think that to be clear to anyone listening to this, whenever I've kind of come out fiercely in favour of vaccines, I feel like I'm speaking directly to white privileged people who don't have that, uh, white privileged able-bodied people, I should say, who don't have that level, who have no need for that level of suspicion from the government because the government has always prioritised the needs of white privileged able-bodied people. Um, and, you know, as Amy Tunig said to me a little a little while ago Amy Tunick's obviously been on the podcast before but this was this was after that because she was on it last year but as she said as an Aboriginal woman she was like I knew that the vaccine was safe for me to take the moment I saw them sneaking it to Sydney private school boys and then she was like absolutely I'm getting it (laughs) and like if there was anything remotely dangerous about it they wouldn't have been prioritizing politicians and prioritizing you know, private schools and all of that. Like we just need to look at the the people that are lining up to to get it and who have been prioritised. And the fact that, um, you know, disabled people 
who should have been prioritised uh, and vulnerable people who should have been prioritised weren't. We only need to look at that to know that well, people were, were trying to get around it to get it as soon as possible because it's safe and people want to shore up their own health and they want to shore up their own uh, economic certainty, um, mm. which is why a lot of people have kind of have gone down that path. But, yeah, to say that it's not safe and coming from a position of immense privilege and knowing that the healthcare system is there for you no matter what and that you can ride off the back of the herd immunity that everyone else is undertaking, it's hugely privileged and hugely selfish. Hmm. Lauren, when we inevitably reach our vaccine targets, which we are on track to do, and I have no doubt that we will hit 90% double, double dosed before too long, and then with any luck, they'll approve the use of vaccines in children under 12. And I know that you and I both will probably be racing to get our children vaccinated as soon as possible. Do you feel like, what will you do now? Because I feel like vaccine advocacy <laughs> has been a part of my life so strongly for the last six months. And, I, and it's become, you know, I don't know if you're like this. I suspect you are similar to me in this way. We both probably have similar kind of mental health anxiety issues, which probably manifests in becoming quite passionate about certain topics and um, I feel like one of my ways to navigate the mental health mm, the kind of shaky mental health that I, that I might have experienced during the lockdown and during this year as well when we went back into lockdown was to really just throw myself into being the biggest bloody cheerleader for vaccines that I could be um, and I, there's a part of me that's like what will I do once I don't, once there's literally very few people left to tell to be vaccinated? I do. <laughs> I totally get that. And I, yeah, I'm absolutely the same. Like I've funneled all of my like health anxiety and COVID anxiety. And yeah, I talked on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, you know, my mum has breast cancer. She mm. was diagnosed with breast cancer at the start of the Sydney lockdown. So I haven't actually seen her since, um, since that, because I'm in Canberra on Nunnawal country and, um, so I haven't been able to see her. She's had surgery and radiation since then, and she's doing very well, thankfully. But, yeah, not being able to see her and being annoyed at the the vaccine rollout and all of that, it's given me uh, something to channel my frustration and energy into. But, yeah, I do, I do kind of think uh, what happens when, <laughs> the, when it's uh, – there's nothing left to kind of say about it. Um, you know, where I am in Canberra, we're on track to reach 99% of eligible population vaccinated by the end of October, uh, or end of November, sorry. Um, so, you know, Canberra's good. We're fine. But, um, yeah. Which is another good uh, indicator of how safe the vaccines are because there's such a high level of public, public servants who live in Canberra, yeah, um, many of whom are obviously white and extremely privileged the vaccine's okay if Canberra is hitting yeah. 99%. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I do think that um, for a lot of the influencers who are pushing anti-vax views, it's just the latest manifestation of harmful views, though. So I think that there will always be something to talk about when it comes mm. to harmful language or harmful ideas that are being promoted and this is never about the people it's just about the ideas and the language you know there's still a lot of really harmful language and manipulation around things like MLMs for instance and there's a massive crossover between the wellness people the MLMs and anti-vax like massive crossover in that Venn diagram um, so I think that when they may start to move away from anti-vax rhetoric, they'll just find something similar to to push and to to cling on to. And so I think even though we won't need to talk about vaccines as much, the ideas and the motivation behind that rhetoric and behind the harm that they're perpetuating, mm -hmm. that won't go away. It'll just be redirected into something else. They're going to find an outlet for that energy and that toxicity mm. in a way 
they're going to find an outlet for it somewhere else. And so it'll just shift to being the next thing to talk about. I mean, maybe the next thing will be the um, feminism because they seem to really hate feminists. <laughs> well, they're very, very, very binary in their thinking, you they're know, very the, the upset divine about pronouns. Very upset, Very upset about pronouns. <laughs> but you're right, you know, we may reach a stage yet where we no longer have to worry about COVID, but we will always have to worry about wellness women. Absolutely. <laughs> Lauren, should we get to the questions? Yes, please. Please note my disclaimer that neither Lauren nor I are medical doctors, lawyers, or professionally trained counsellors. We're just two humans with a little thing called life experience and a deep hatred of beige Instagram aesthetics. Figuring It Out asks, I'm a 21-year-old woman in the US. I'm still in college and figuring it out, as people say. I've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline for a while now, and I always feel so seen. So here's my question. I have a lovely and kind boyfriend who makes me so happy. He really does make every day better. However, I don't like some of his friends. The ones I have issues with are Jay, his girlfriend X, and her twin sister S. I've known them for years now, but I still feel like we aren't past the small talk phase. The twin girls have been downright mean at times and their sense of humour is to taunt and make fun of the people around them. Jay is nice when the girls aren't around but seems disinterested in getting to know me. When I'm with them, I'm judging myself so harshly, like how I imagine they are judging me. I recently went out on a boat with them for an entire day to watch my boyfriend race a sailboat. I couldn't stop judging everything I was doing, from the way I was sitting to the things I contributed to the conversation. I left feeling so defeated and honestly like a fool. Growing up, I felt I had to be pretty. That was the most important thing. I was always focused on what I looked like and who I was mattered less. I'm thinking I'm, I think I'm starting to feel like I don't have anything to contribute beyond my desirability. Do you have any advice on navigating situations like these and how to regain my self-confidence? Every time I see these people, I leave feeling so small. Oh, Lauren. I feel like I relate so strongly to a lot of that. Oh, I just want to give them a hug, honestly. Um, it's so hard spending time around people that make you feel like that. And, you know, you really do internalise a lot of that stuff and mm. it makes it really hard, especially at 21, uh, you know, you are still figuring yourself out and still learning how to have confidence in who you are as a person and even know who you are as a person. And so mm-hmm. to have that kind of internalised doubt about yourself just when you're with your boyfriend's friends, that's it's really hard and it makes it almost impossible to be confident and be assertive and be yourself and be able to figure out who you are. It's so true and, I, you know, I feel like 21 was just such a difficult age for me and I know it's a difficult age for so many people because, as you said, you're still figuring out who you are and you're transitioning into adulthood, you're transitioning away from... Now, for many of us, home is not a safe place. I understand that. But if if you were lucky enough to kind of have an adolescence and a home life in which you felt that at the end of the day, no matter how hard it was at school or whatever, you know, your friends were doing that you would have a safe place to come to where you could, you could be kind of less judged, not unjudged completely. We're all judged by our families, but less judged that that transition into adulthood then where you're trying to figure out who you are and trying to be cool, let's be honest. And if you're a girl and you've been conditioned into all the demands of patriarchy, you're also feeling very self-conscious often about how you look and how you're being judged accordingly. It can be really difficult to be around other people when you feel like you don't measure up because it's hard not to, it's hard not to be really hard on yourself. 
It's so true. And you really do need friendships and people in your life who are going to build you up and add value to your life and to help you develop into a really well-rounded adult. And you can't do that if you're with people that are making you doubt yourself and making you constantly talk down to yourself or doubt everything that you're doing and to the point where you feel like you don't have anything of value to add. Mm. I think it's so we have this innate desire to be valued and to be able to contribute and have worth and finding that outside of your looks as a young woman can be really hard when society has told you that that is the thing that matters most. And Mm. I I think that it's really important to prioritise being around people that can see past that societal bullshit and who will actually support you to find that value. It's really easy, though, to say as somebody, you know, in their almost mid-30s, you know, don't spend time with those people because that's a really easy cut and dry decision when you have more lived experience and have been through those really hard decisions that you've had to make. But at 21, that's a really hard call to have to make and it's really hard to be that assertive and go, actually, I don't want to spend time with those people because they don't make me feel good about myself. That is a really hard line in the sand to draw at that young age when you haven't had that experience. Well, and I don't know, speaking very honestly... I don't know that I'm even at 40 really fully able to make that choice to cut, you know, people out of my life if they don't make me feel good about myself. You know, I I have my own insecurities. We've all got our own insecurities. What people see on the outside is not ever what's going on. It's not ever the complete story. And there are still circumstances when, you know, in which where I'm in now where I feel like I go right back to that insecure 19, 20, 21-year-old girl who feels like the way that I'm sitting is wrong or the clothes that I'm wearing are wrong or that the, the joke that I just tried to make wasn't funny and no one laughed and therefore I am obviously a terrible human who no one likes and who people find tedious to be around and who no one ever wants to invite to anything. I mean, objectively, None of that is true. I mean, sometimes it, for some people it will definitely be true. Of course, there's some. not everyone's going to like me and not everyone's <laughs> going to want to invite me to places. But this kind of the tendency that we have to allow that horrible little gremlin on our shoulder who's whispering all of the worst things that we feel about ourselves and our worst fears into our ear, no one likes you, these girls are being mean to you, you'll never measure up, you'll never be pretty enough, you'll never be, never be good enough. It's like that waking nightmare of the sleep paralysis of the goblin sitting at the end of your bed except it's just your voice in your own head. T- to an extent we get better at we, we get better at dismissing that voice or at speaking back to it and saying, oh, go away, gremlin, and not listening entirely to what it's saying. But there will be moments throughout the rest of your life where you, you're you a little bit more vulnerable to that voice. And what you're doing now, little sister, is you're developing a resilience against it. And as hard as it is to go through this right now, I mean, it's funny not to like stretch the vaccine analogy too much. But considering we have been talking about vaccines, I don't know if it if it's sort of like mentally helpful to think that what you're doing right now is being exposed to some of the worst insecurities that you, you will have in your life in order to build up resilience against them, in order to know, in order so that you and your body and your mental health know how to recognize them in future and go, oh, that's just the gremlin on my shoulder telling me these things. Which is not to say that your in- instincts about how these people are around you are not spot on. But it's, it kind of comes back to that thing that if you've done any therapy, you'll probably have heard your feelings are valid, but feelings are not the same thing as facts. And so what you feel about how you are experiencing these scenarios with these people is valid and may be true in terms of that may be how they're treating you, but it doesn't mean that the way that they're treating you or what they potentially think about you is the fact. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It doesn't mean that you're not pretty enough, that you're not funny enough, that you're not good company. 
Although I do query where your boyfriend is in all of this. I mean, obviously in the scenario that you're talking about, he was literally on a sailboat. But does he make you – these are some questions that I think that this little sister Lauren can go back and ask herself. As good as he makes her feel every day, she said that he's a great boyfriend, she loves being with him. Does he make you feel validated in your concerns about these friends of his and does he make an effort to include you in his when when you does he make an effort to to include you or does he kind of not notice that it's going on yeah i was just thinking about the the boyfriend's kind of role in this as well because you know if they're in this relationship together they're they're a partnership they're a team and Mm if she's feeling this way, he needs to come alongside her with that and either, you know, help calm that social situation and kind of diffuse that a bit or have, you know, some serious words to his friends if they are acting this way and it's making his girlfriend Mm. feel this insecure and making her doubt herself and making her feel like she's not a fun person to be around. Um, Mm. It can't all be on this little sister, you know, her boyfriend, if he is if he is there with her, he needs to be there with her, not just when it's one-on-one time when they're on their own, but, you know, in social situations, in all situations, you want a partner, you want somebody who is there for you, who has your back and who can help be a bit of a sounding board to kind of think of, okay, well, you know your friends really well. This is a little bit of how I'm feeling. Is there something I can do or is there something that we can do to kind of address this and kind of tweak the behaviours a little bit and kind of working up a little bit more of a a response that is both of them together? Mm. Let's talk about, just quickly before we round out this question, let's talk about some practical tools and some practical activities that, this little sister and other people who feel these things can apply to their life when you do leave a situation where you feel really small because I'm sure you've had that experience Lauren I definitely have you go home and you just feel you feel like you aren't enough and that's a really horrible feeling to sit in as I said it doesn't mean that that's true but that doesn't invalidate the fact that you have the feeling so what are some good things that you can do to remind yourself that you are enough, that you're a wonderful human, that you are a good sister, not sister, I'm talking about myself, that you're a good friend, (laughs) you're a good girlfriend, you're a fun person to be around and that the opinions of other people, they need to become something that you don't hold, you don't allow to hold too much weight. Something that I've found really helpful And it's really hard sometimes in the moment, but, you know, just taking a moment and going, okay, what are three things that I really love about myself? What are three things that I'm really awesome at and that, you know, bring value to, to my life and to the world? Like what are, what are some things that I did that were meaningful today and another thing that's really helped me, and it, it does take a bit of time, is that um, I have something on my phone. It's uh, called my feel-good folder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, basically, if somebody sends me a message that makes me feel really good or I get some feedback on something that makes me feel great, I take a screenshot of it and put it in this folder. So that at those times where I do have that self-doubt and that negative self-talk, I can kind of go back to that folder and go, no, objectively, I I have proof here that people think I'm good. (laughs) Um, And it's really hard to get out of that negative self-talk, but just focusing and not to get all toxic positivity, but focusing on those things that you feel that you do like about yourself or that other people do value about you can be really helpful and kind of just breaking out of that negative thought pattern. Mm. That's such good advice. I and, and, you know, limiting it to three things makes it really achievable as well, almost in a in terms of like writing a list of mantras. Another thing I think is helpful is, you know, so often when we have these feelings of being small or not enough or not cool enough or whatever it is, it's often because we feel really uncomfortable in the things that we are being asked to do. And I don't mean that they're like, 
bad things or anything like that, but we're just, it's just not our natural state or we're not with people who doing those things would make us comfortable. So maybe thinking about the times in which you feel real joy and release and recognizing if these, if the times I feel joy and release, if the things that I'm doing in those moments are not things I would feel comfortable sharing with this person because for fear that they would laugh at me or they wouldn't get it or whatever that might be. It doesn't mean that you don't have to ever spend time with that person again, but it's a really good way of recognizing that their opinion shouldn't matter that much to you because the people who we give that power to in our life, and this is a practice as well, everything is always a practice. You can't just wake up and be good at this. I'm still practicing doing this. But the people that we give that power to, should be the people who we can, who we allow to see us in our most unbridled moments of joy and silliness and never feel scared that they'll laugh at us or cringe for us or feel some kind of vicarious embarrassment or whatever. Because otherwise you'll always exist in a state of insecurity and most often feel like you fail to measure up to whatever standard is being set. Yeah, I love that advice. It's so good. And it's like if you wouldn't take advice from that person, it's mm. like well, maybe their opinion isn't mm. the one that you want to be listening to. Just to finish this question up, it's one of those ones where, and it seems like so many of these these questions are like this because that's the kind of unfortunate reality of life or the positive reality of life if you want to think about about it in those terms, you know, learning lessons, et cetera, et cetera, that there's no easy answer to this. You want to be able to say to all of these glorious young women who are finding their way in the world and feeling a little bit insecure because that is the natural evolution into adulthood. You want to be able to say, do this, this, and this, and you will never feel insecure ever again. People will always want to be around you and you'll never leave a situation in which you feel uncomfortable or like you've failed to measure up but unfortunately that's just not the world that we live in there's always going to be mean people there's always going to be particularly those of us who's been conditioned by a patriarchy there's always going to be um people who operate in that patriarchy in a way that weaponizes its harshest tools against us and the trick is not in striving to escape that it's in striving to be more powerful against it which is really partly what age gives you unfortunately you have to go through you have to go through all of this to to come out the other side and be be stronger (laughs) good luck little Uh. sister You're going to love this one. Style Queen (laughs) writes, in my group of friends and family, I'm considered the stylist as I'm always picking out an outfit for everyone to wear on any event. My older sister always says she wants to look quote unquote classy. And for some reason, I feel like she's just trying to say not slutty. For context, my older sister is 24 years old and she is a devoted Catholic. She is an outspoken misogynist. We don't get along. And she hates it when I play the song WAP or talk badly about Catholicism. Ha ha, I will always talk about badly about Catholicism as I am a lapsed Catholic. I just want to know, what do you think of the word classy to describe how you want to dress? I've never liked it and I can't put my finger on why. I think it's because men would use it as a way to say a girl is nicely covered up. What do you think about it? Lauren, what do you think about um, it? Oh my Isn't God. that a glorious um, question? <laughs> I love it. This, this little um, sister needs to be friends with the other little sister. Absolutely. Uh, there, there is a lot of um, internalised misogyny in the word classy in the way that I think it's being used here. There's nothing inherently wrong with the word classy, but it has been used to mean marriage material a lot of the time um you know and marriage material obviously means as this little sister said yeah not slutty 
not slutty, you know, demure and well-behaved and quiet Mm. and knows her place and, you know, not... Not the the guy, uh, not the the woman that the guys want to have fun with, but the one that they'll take home and and marry. And the one, it's that, that Madonna whore thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's that it's that real Madonna whore thing of like you can only be one or the other, which is just completely not true. We're very complicated people. Mm. We can be all of those things at the same time. Um, yeah, it's an inherent slut shaming in saying I want to dress classy and making that a binary to mm. slutty um, when there isn't like one dress code that is classy and one dress code that is slutty any clothes can be any one of those things on a different body or with different confidence or in a different circumstance or a different location there's nothing inherently classy or slutty about clothes just Mm. as like there's not anything inherently classy or slutty about a person and it's just the the projections about how they're perceived that make them kind of considered one or the other I don't think that I would use the word classy it kind of it's got very like Kate Middleton kind of vibes I think that's what like they're kind of going for like that very like covered up repressed Mm. not very out there not outspoken and yeah more um acceptable when it comes to the way that they look according to certain types of men and certain types of value systems yeah I've never really used the word classy to describe clothes uh but obviously everything that you've said has nailed it and I think that this little sister's suspicion about what that word means is bang on. Until recently I probably did use the word classy to describe a particular kind of behaviour, usually like, oh, that was a really classy response. And it's one of those words where as we know more, as we learn more, we hopefully behave in a better way. Not so much because of its connotations about sluttiness or not sluttiness, but because of its connotations about class you know that to be classy is I think like peeling this back a little bit more obviously it is used to celebrate a particular kind of conservative woman who understands not to and I'm speaking very kind of like tongue-in-cheek right now but understands not to put the goods on display like why sell the cow when you can get the milk for free all of those gross old misogynistic sayings and idioms and tropes that really kind of position women as a commodity that needs to be protected from other men in order to secure the attentions of one man because why would he want to partner with someone who had been touched by all of these other men but the Absolutely. but the kind of the class connotations of the word classy is also because it's very difficult in a classist society and in a classist racist society i think it's very difficult for us to not for for us to separate the connotations of classiness and physical appearance with it not also prioritizing rich white kind of um a a rich whiteness you know so a, a classy a quote unquote classy woman who's wearing a low plunging dress that is in other in any other context sexy is still considered classy in a way that a working class, you know, woman of colour who's wearing a low plunging neckline will never be afforded the privilege of being considered classy. Yeah, absolutely. And it it kind of positions that white upper class as being like the pinnacle, like the best you can be and like that's mm-hmm. aspirational and that's what we should be aiming for. And it takes away from the fact that all um, all types of people in all classes are all valid. And by putting that version of womanhood as quote-unquote classy, it puts that as the aspiration and the what we should be aiming for. And it definitely takes away um, the inherent 
kind of race and class implications uh, mm. in the term because, you, like you said, uh, uh, certain people will never be considered classy no matter what they wear and that is absolutely like a classist thing but aiming for the version of womanhood that is perpetuated by rich white women is seen rich conservative as white women especially yeah absolutely and that's seen as the aim and that's seen as the norm um mm-hmm. as the benchmark for what we should be aiming for and what is considered quote unquote classy mm. In terms of how to kind of push back against this, so obviously broadly I would advocate that everyone remove the word classy from their vocabulary and and also think, um, you know, it's a, this question is a really good example of how words that are just incorporated without thought and that have been for so long are actually perpetuating really damaging stereotypes and really damaging ideals because it's not just that some people won't ever be thought of as classy it's that the system itself is set up in a way to consciously and purposefully exclude large demographics of people from that notion in order to maintain the power of the ruling class class (laughs) um so so the first thing of course is that it's always really good to examine the language that we use and if you know, as with this little sister, if something seems, if something niggles at you and you can't quite put your finger on why, then really like be be very open about having conversations with other people and try and peel back what it is about those words or those concepts that seem to bother you because nine out of 10 times, there'll be a really, really good reason why. And it's because you've had a peek behind the curtain and you've seen what's going on. You've seen what's being kept from you. And the second thing is in terms of practical kind of response that this little sister can use with her sister in particular, I think just always like reframing what her sister says is a really good tactic. It will probably annoy her sister if she does hold fast to these, um, to this ideal of what valuable womanhood is. But every time she says to you, I want to dress classy, you can just say, oh, so you want to dress conservatively. You would like to dress and not, and you don't have to say it in a way that's um, diminishing her. To dress conservatively is totally fine. It's the putting the value system on dressing conservative, conservatively that's the problem. And eventually she'll kind of say to you, why do you keep changing the way that I phrase that? Or why do you keep saying conservatively? And then you can say, well, look, I just, that's the word that I choose to use because that to me is what you're really representing like there's nothing classy about the way that you're dressing it's just conservative there's no there's nothing the word classy itself elevates one group of people over another and that's not what's going on here why do you think that you're better than a girl who wears a mini skirt and maybe have that kind of uncomfortable conversation with her she may or may not be open to it but you will at least be in the position where you can articulate your thoughts on it really well and sometimes that's enough sometimes you know um something that Caitlin Stacy taught me years ago was sometimes it's not about the people we're having the conversation with, but the people who are listening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like that unpicking of the, the meaning behind it and looking for less loaded synonyms is really important. And whether you reframe it as different synonyms or you, ask what do you mean by classy can you describe what you're Mm. what you're looking for because once you try and get somebody to reframe this idea that they have in their head that they've learned from somewhere else and actually get them to think about it and put it in their own words then you kind of can unpick and get to the heart of what it is they're actually saying And that can also cause them to confront some of their own biases. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? Can you explain it in a different way? I don't quite understand what you're aiming for here. Um, Mm -hmm. And forcing people to put ideas into their own words is something that can be applied to anything, not just this, but um, getting people to reinterpret complex ideas or societal ideas that they've just picked up from being, you know, out there. 
it's something that you can go, well, can you explain that in your own words or can you frame it in a different way? And that will force them to reckon with the fact that they actually haven't thought about what it means and they don't actually understand the depth underneath it that is causing the issue or that is causing the confusion. Mm. And until then, long live sluts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back, your big sisters. Big thank you to my podcast hosts, Acast, and also thank you so much once again to all of the supporters of my Patreon who facilitate the making of this podcast. You can become a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash Clementine Ford. And if you like the show, then I would love for you to consider rating and reviewing it as well. Don't forget you can submit questions to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous. We're big sisters and we've got you back. My guest this week has been Lauren Lately, whose Instagram account you can follow at lauren.lately. She reviews books, she does incredible makeup looks, and as we have talked about of late, she has been doing a really stellar job fighting misinformation from, what what would we call them, public health nuisances online. Lauren, do you have any closing words? Yes, thank you so much for having me on here. It's been great to talk about all of these things and move some of the conversations from our dms out into the podcast <laughs> it has indeed and i have to say as well that it's it's really been very good for me and my mental health to see you doing this work publicly as well because as much as you might believe in the work that you're doing and, and understand that it's important to be offering this advocacy where you can it can be really really lonely and you know when the 50th person that day has called you a bully you do start to feel like, oh, I wish that there were other people in this fight. And of course, there are lots of people in this fight. So it's nice to have you. It's nice to be in there with you. And I'm very glad that you're in the world. Thank you. Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.